0: The Big Silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives.
1: We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello
0: and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times best-selling author and founder of the nonprofit The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I will sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe
1: out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The Big Silence. The
0: Big Silence. Hello, and welcome back to the Big Silence podcast. This is Karina Dunn. I'm so happy you're back here with me. I can't believe it. I think this is episode 57, which is incredible. We've had so many great conversations and education and connecting with us as (laughs) humans and mental health and coming together as community. And I want to thank you, number one, for supporting The Big Silence and the podcast and really learning from each other. It's been really beautiful. So thank you. And as always, it really helps to Share this message and make sure more people benefit their mental health from the Big Silence podcast by sharing this, liking it, commenting, leaving reviews, anywhere that your podcast can be listened from. Is that right? (laughs) So appreciate it very much. We always say one conversation can change a life and we are a foundation. So any of your support to keep our programs going is much appreciated. All right. So, today's guest, Dr. Donnie Wilson. She is the author of Master Your Stress, Reset Your Health. When I get DMs or emails about what we want to talk to, there's so many people who are wanting to manage stress, especially since 2020, you know what I mean? She is a naturopathic doctor, certified professional midwife certified nutrition specialist. And as I said, author of Master Your Stress, Reset Your Health. There's a test in there that I took. There's the five types of stress that people carry. The night owl, the stress manager, blonde, blue, tired and wired, sluggish and stressed. I took the test and it actually turned out that it was a different type of stress than I thought I would have. But, anyways, we discuss the five types that's based on adrenaline and cortisol levels. Uh, one conversation I have because myself and a lot of women lately are asking about how stress affects your body from irregular periods, maybe a midsection weight gain, extra fatigue, um, weight increase or decrease. Also, you know, nausea. There are a few community questions that I ask Dr. Donnie. So Definitely stay tuned for those, especially um, how stress affects your body physically, emotionally, all that, and how we can get through this. All right. So enjoy the pod, and hopefully this will help you boost your energy and beat your burnout. Love you. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Donnie Wilson.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here.
0: Coming from Long Island, all my Long Islanders out there, including Bobby. So, as I said, Dr. Donnie Wilson has her book out, which is right behind her. It's Master Your Stress Reset for Health. I think this is such a big topic right now, and we were just kind of chatting about it before the podcast the importance of learning about stress. And I have so many questions and the types of stress, how it affects your body, your hormones, your cortisol and all of that. But before we dive into that, I would like to know how, what your journey was in the beginning to get to where you are and why you want to help people so much manage stress amongst other things.
1: Well, as your audience knows, so many of us experience stress or adverse events in childhood, let alone stress in adulthood. And I now see the stresses that I experienced in my childhood. And I think part of it was that my mom is a special education teacher. And so she spoke a little bit more about it. She would say things to me as a child like, oh, that person is stressed. Or she might say to me, I seem stressed. And so I had a little more awareness about this concept of what is it to experience stress and how does it affect us. And then when I was in college, I was getting a pre-med degree and I decided I wanted to learn about nutrition. I was really interested in understanding how food affects our health. And I had this thought at the time, I'm like, oh, this is such a wild thought that I want to study medicine that uses food as medicine. Mm-hmm. And my friend said, well, what about naturopathic medicine? And I was like, what's that? Because I hadn't heard of it. My father ran pharmacy a pharmacy chain growing up. So I was just only aware of sort of pharmaceuticals. So when I went into the Naturopathic Medical School, I went to Bastyr University in Seattle, and this was back in the 90s. And I was like, I want to study food as medicine. And they were like, you're in the right place, because that's, of course, what they do is study food as medicine. And so along that time, then when I was at Bastyr, I was researching and learning how to use natural approaches to health. But all of the research I was doing, I found myself being drawn to understanding how stress affects humans and especially how stress affects women in labor, because I was also studying to be a midwife. And so it was really the women in labor research that still to this day, I think is some of the most brilliant information that has inspired a lot of my other research and work, which is to see that when women are in labor, we need a certain amount of stress hormones. It's not about having zero stress or zero cortisol. It's how do we have just the right amount of cortisol and adrenaline to help our normal processes work? But if women are under too much stress in labor and don't have enough support, that's when labor comes to a halt. So it's all about understanding how to support women the most in labor to get the most positive outcome with the fewest interventions when I graduated and finished my residency, that's when I moved to New York. I was in Manhattan right after 9-11. So it was a hugely stressful time in New York. All of my patients were not just under stress, but really traumatized. And so I then used this information that I had learned from the women in labor and said, well, how about do all humans need to get an optimal cortisol and adrenaline level in order to recover from stress. And so that really inspired my research from there.
0: Before we go into the research there, because I'm very interested in all of this, but the women in labor, what is your expertise in that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of women listening that are like, how do I manage my stress and my cortisol and what do I need to do while I'm in labor?
1: Over the years, I've really worked in women's health specialty. I don't attend births now, just to be clear, but I am certified as a professional midwife. And what I would say to women who are pregnant or preparing for labor, and I think I would say this actually to someone who might be also birthing a new book like you're, you just did, or anything where we're, we know we have a challenge, a new business, a new home, a new move. When we're anticipating something in our lives that it could be something even positive, right? A baby is something we're happy for. We are choosing that stress, but we know we're going to be under stress in the process so what i recommend is just set yourself up for success by making sure you have enough support so choosing a birth team that feels supportive to you maybe that also includes a midwife or a doula who's a labor support person making sure you've done your preparation ahead of time so you have the information you need on the support you need so that you're counterbalancing the stress exposure
0: what's the difference between like how you feel from choosing stress like you said you have a baby perhaps you choose to move sometimes there's situations where you're not choosing to move but choosing stress versus things that were unexpected and that stress and preparing for that
1: I love you're asking me this question cuz this is how I this is how I think and by the way I suffered from migraines for 20 years mm-hmm. so what I would start to think is How am I going to get through my day as running my practice and seeing my patients and taking care of my daughter and doing all the things, and at the same time, hopefully prevent a migraine? You know, sometimes we think only just in the short term, like, oh, if I take a vacation or if I go on a retreat, but that might only be a few days or a week, and then we're right back into our stressful environment again. And there's going to be, no matter how much we try to prepare for stress that are known anticipated things there's always going to be unexpected stresses. That's part of being human, right? There's going to be whatever comes in the mail today or something unexpected. So how do we take care of ourselves day to day? Like how do we bring the retreat into our day to day living? Sometimes I use the analogy, you know, when you're at the ocean and the waves just keep crashing over you and you're just like, I can't get, I can't get it because every time I'm just, the wave just pushing me down. That's, I think, how a lot of people experience life. Like, it's like just every unexpected wave keeps hitting them. But how can we get to the point where we're like surfing the waves, where mm-hmm. we're we're ready, we're prepared. Whatever comes our way, we're able to handle it. And to me, that's what I do with my work is to help people to do that. And I think it. we can talk more about this, but it comes down to what we do day to day to help us recover from stress in every moment.
0: All right, two questions with that one. Number one, does everyone experience stress? Because I've met some people and I'm like, what's stressing you out? They're like, nothing. Life is great. I'm like, what? Wow. (laughs) How do I get there? (laughs) And then, like, what are the tools? But actually, maybe you need to, we need to go through the five different types of stress before we talk about the tools
1: it'll be stressful getting onto a flight and I finally get in my seat next to this person and they're asking what I do and I start talking about this and they're like, well, I don't feel stressed ever. And I'm like, really? We just experienced this stress together on the plane. So I (laughs) I know there's stress happening. First of all, we're kind of expected, we think of stress as a negative thing. If we say we feel stressed, some people associate that with weakness or Something wrong with them right and so they tend not to associate themselves with that terminology they might say i'm overwhelmed or they might say i'm tired or once i talk to them i'll say how's your blood pressure how's your digestion and they're like oh yeah my blood pressure has been a little high and my digestion's bothering me and i'm like that's stress it's just you weren't realizing it
0: yeah for me i know i hold it in my body and i think I'm like a stress magnet, but where I'm just like, go, go, go. And then there's like inflammation or rashes, which is also one of the other types of stress too. Like, yeah, I'm fine. But then that is the stigma about saying I am stressed. And that's not a bad word. It's like, I'm feeling this way. And if you say it to someone, then maybe that person there can help be, you know, someone who can help walk you through it. Like, what do you need? I think that's important you know just say what do you need how can i help or just be an ear to listen or take them for a walk in nature which i love and it's even interesting as we get older in life and learning about what stress is or what anxiety is even my husband is finally realizing oh that's anxiety i think he took anxiety and would maybe turn it into anger like he's fighting it in himself. And I think a lot of people do that because, but now he's so much more calm. He's just like, I had anxiety and I didn't even know it. I didn't have a name for it. So I didn't know how to move through it.
1: Ultimately, we all as humans are going to experience stress. And I think this is the big, talk about a big silence. We were taught to be silent about our stress exposure, but the more we're not saying anything, it doesn't help anyone. So yeah. I love the opportunity to say, hey, let's just talk about it. Let's just put it out there and even talk about anxiety, talk about depression, because I think those are actually part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. And the more we can just say, hey, this we all sometimes have these feelings or these effects of stress. And if we start to talk about it, then we start to get proactive about it. Because if we're silent about it, Then we're not doing anything and it's actually ending up harming us because more than 90% of health issues are associated with unaddressed effects of stress. So just think how much of a difference we can make. I just see that the more I can help people to embrace the fact that they're human and that they're going to experience the effects of stress and then to go into a proactive mode of what can I do about it, that inspires me because I've now seen thousands of patients and for myself. Now I no longer have these migraines, which I was also silent about the migraines. By the way, I didn't talk about it.
0: And you went to work and with a migraine. Like I can't. I have to lay in a dark room. I've only had two major ones in my life.
1: My day too. I thought, oh, I'm an naturopathic doctor. I'm not supposed to get migraines. And I was like shameful about it. And so Mm -hmm. I was silent about these migraines for many, many years. People ask me how did I finally stop having migraines. One of the first things that I did that I think was a real turning point was I started to talk about them. Mm, I started mm-hmm. to tell people I was getting migraines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had done so much else changing my diet and you name it, every possible thing. But when I started talking about it, something really shifted. And so that just showed me, I think that the more we can be out and open and connecting with other humans about our human experience, that alone helps with processing stress. I want to also mention that stress comes not just from psycho-emotional stress. I redefine stress to include certain ways of eating or foods mm. that are stressful to our bodies. Getting enough sleep is stressful to our bodies. Toxins in the environment are a stress. Infections, injuries we're exposed to, that's a stress. The research is very clear. The stress, all of those things, our body responds to as a stress. And when The thing is, is that, yes, we have these normal stresses we're exposed to, and naturally our body should then respond with cortisol and adrenaline to help us address the stress. We need that. We need a healthy stress response. It protects us. So it's not about making the stress response evil. It's about saying, hey, I want a healthy stress response, but then I need to also have a healthy stress recovery. And that's what's mostly missing in our modern daily human lives is we're missing the recovery time. We're kind of thinking we're supposed to power through Mm -hmm. and push harder and do more. And we skip over the recovery.
0: Yeah, I definitely come from late 20s and through my 30s. The got to do more, got to do more. And I want to do more. And even my husband's like, you got to just calm down for a few months. But then there's so much I want to do and put out there and help people too. But I'm not as much of like that hustle culture anymore. Like, you know, stay up till 2 a.m. and work. Like I I respect those boundaries now and realize what's important. And and I I notice now when my body needs to rest. So let's talk about the five different types of stress. Because this was, I really loved reading about this in your book.
1: I'm so glad it it connected for you because I think like sometimes people hear about the adrenal glands and, or they hear about cortisol and they might even like go grab an adrenal product or they might assume they have high cortisol or maybe even test their cortisol. But what I end up seeing is the patients who come to see me, it's not getting addressed correctly. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. this is the key to me. Like when we can optimize cortisol and adrenaline, which are our stress hormones, When we can get them optimized, now not only are we preventing health issues of all types, but then we're better performers in our day-to-day life, like you're saying. So here's the key is I've been testing patients' cortisol and adrenaline levels for 20 years, so thousands of results. And I'm always looking for patterns, and, and I do research to analyze for patterns. Because my question was, if we're all exposed to stress, do we all have high cortisol Or can I anticipate that if a person feels anxious, they have high cortisol? Like, how can I anticipate clinically? And so what I found is that there were these five most common patterns of disruption in the cortisol and adrenaline levels. Now, mind you, I'm testing cortisol at at four different times a day. So I test cortisol in saliva or urine, but mostly saliva Mm -hmm. in the morning when you first wake up and then the midday and then the evening and the bedtime because cortisol is a hormone that naturally changes through the day. It should be higher in the morning, gradually decreasing through the day and lowest at night. That would be a healthy cortisol level. So we have to test it. If we only test it in the morning, we're missing the whole rest of the picture. We need to test it at morning, midday, evening, bedtime. And based on that and the adrenaline levels, which can be measured in urine, there's specialty labs that measure these things, then we can see see what the patterns of imbalance are. And the reason why these patterns of imbalance are so important is because the treatment's different. You know, if we all had the same treatment to get our cortisol and adrenaline optimized, we wouldn't need to know the stress types. We would just say, oh, everybody needs this. Mm -hmm. But it's not the case. What I find is that it's almost equal between those five different types. So the one stress type is what you mentioned, what I call the stress magnet. A stress magnet tends to have high cortisol part of the day or all day and high adrenaline, both. And I called it a stress magnet because often their body is responding to stress, but not only that, it's like their body is good at responding to stress and we become attracted to more stress. It becomes so familiar that we end up choosing it more and more Mm -hmm. to match up with our high cortisol adrenaline levels. And this is all in research too that I share in the book if you wanna learn more about it. But that's the stress magnet is is the person who has high cortisol and adrenaline, but it's not a hundred percent of us by any means. Right.
0: So like yeah. you wake up and you're like go immediately into stress. When you say attracted to stress, what does that mean?
1: Like some people might find themselves going, Well, first of all, it might be like, Oh, I keep finding new projects and adding new projects and ending up making my day so full that I don't have time for anything else. Um, It could also be a person who's like, why does something bad keep happening to me? You know, why did this bad thing happen? And now this bad thing happened. And then it's almost like you don't, you're not choosing it intentionally, but somehow it's like, it just keeps showing up. Yeah. And then the opposite of the stress magnet is the blah and blue. They have low cortisol part of the day or all day and low adrenaline. So now the adrenal glands are depleted and not making enough cortisol and adrenaline. In terms of symptoms, both the stress magnet and the blah and blue can feel tired, by the way. So sometimes we think, oh, if I feel tired, I probably am blah and blue, but not always. You can't just go by that. I mean, the blah and blue tends to be more exhausted. This is why I developed the stress type quiz, because I want to help people to really see where do they fall in this. And then if you really want to know, you could measure your cortisol and adrenaline levels to see. There's the the one called sluggish and stressed has high cortisol with low adrenaline. So it's possible to be kind of lopsided like that. You could have high cortisol where your body, your adrenal glands are still making cortisol, but they're getting low on adrenaline. And then the opposite of that would be high adrenaline with low cortisol. And they have slightly different ways they show up in your body, in your mood, in your sleep. I'll get to this, but the treatment's different. And then the fifth stress type is called the night owl. And they tend to have high cortisol and or adrenaline, but at night. So they tend to be up late or have a hard time sleeping or waking up in the night.
0: And can you move between the five different types in different seasons of your life or day to day? Or how does that work?
1: Most people, because I've now had patients who've been with working with me for 20 years. So that's the cool thing is I get to see humans over time. And I would say most people, what's interesting to me is they tend to, the body will, when they're under stress again and they retest their levels, they tend to go right back to the same pattern. That's why I started to think about the stress types as almost like your fingerprint. It's partially determined by your genetics. Our genetics influence what our cortisol and adrenaline levels are going to do. And it's partially influenced by our past exposure to stress, even in your parents and your grandparents, affects how your body's going to respond to stress now. So we tend to have a stress type that we, again, if you're like, you're feeling better, and then you're under stress again, and you'll fall right back into that same pattern. Now, some people do, as you're saying, some people do, shift from, let's say, a night owl to more like blonde blue. And I I see that like more often with, say, women going through menopause. They say because the other hormones are shifting, then also their cortisol shifts. So occasionally that will happen where you'll go from one stress type to another. So can we
0: talk about, if we're talking about women and menopause and hormones, um, also how stress can affect irregular periods for women?
1: Oh my gosh, for sure. And this is what I saw when I started. I, I don't know why I get just so interested in stress. I was, I read every research article and my, the way my mind works is I'm always looking for patterns. And what I see in the research is that when we're under stress and whether our cortisol is too high or too low, when cortisol is out of balance, it disrupts all of our other hormones in the body potentially, including ovarian hormones. So it's like then the ovaries are not getting the right signal. Think of it this way, like if you have a constant stress alarm going off and it's sending a memo or a text message to every cell in your body and your ovaries are getting the message, oh, she's under stress, don't ovulate, don't make hormones. Now the ovaries are gonna go, oh, okay, we're not supposed to do our normal function because she's responding to stress. So then it definitely can throw off the menstrual cycle, fertility, all of that. And once we help get the cortisol optimal again, then the ovaries have the right signal and they start ovulating again.
0: So how long can it take to get back if your cortisol is all off and you're having trouble ovulating? How long can that process take to figure out?
1: I've seen patients who see a difference even within a month. If, you know, when we really dive in and get the right treatment going. And for some people, if they have a more complex case, because for some people, this imbalance of cortisol and adrenaline might be also affecting their digestion and their immune system. So they might be now having autoimmunity or chronic infections it might also be affecting their nervous system. So if it starts to affect multiple systems, then it may take us a couple months to get things back on track.
0: Yeah. That's actually a question because I went on my Instagram and asked for questions for you today. Um, Can stress make you feel like you're sick all the time? Cold body, body ache, upset stomach?
1: Definitely it can. Because when we're under stress, we know there's an association between stress exposure and let's say an ulcer, right? A stomach ulcer or irritable bowel syndrome. We name it as this general stress effect. But definitely when we're under stress and the cortisol and adrenaline shift, usually what happens is we we don't digest our food as well. We don't absorb our nutrients as well. We're more susceptible to leaky gut and imbalanced gut bacteria. So the digestion is absolutely affected. And a lot of times patients tell me that it shows up like nausea. um, And that's how they just feel like, oh my gosh, why am I nauseous all the time? And that actually, I would tie to the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is the longest nerve in our body. One of the main purposes, this is how I translate it anyway, is I think of the vagus nerve as our anti-stress nervous system. So if we're under a lot of stress, our vagus nerve is getting dysfunctional. It's not having a chance to work right. And the vagus nerve is the main communication between the brain and the stomach. So it's like a traffic jam between your brain and your stomach So, of course, if we're under a lot of stress, we're going to feel it in our stomach. But if we can do activities that increase the function of our vagus nerve and the anti-stress nervous system, now it's coming back into balance and then you can digest again and your stomach feels better again.
0: And what would those specific activities be?
1: These are things that people, a lot of times you'll hear about, like I see it all the time on social media too, things like even lately it's been the cold ice baths. The idea is like, okay, we can stimulate this anti-stress part of our nervous system. We can use what's called hormesis and autophagy to reset. But I always like to point out that we don't have to always go that extreme because if we're already stressed and depleted and then we go force ourselves into a cold ice bath, that might be just stressing us more. So I always invite people to, you know, first listen to your own body. And yes, you can do activities, but maybe start more gently maybe start with just some nice deep breaths because when you take deep breaths, that also stimulates the vagus nerve and your anti-stress system. And sometimes it may seem like something so simple as deep breaths, but there's a ton of research, right? And cultures have been using breath work for eons. Like let's start with breath work and then we can work up to other potential activities.
0: I am one who experiences anxiety and I noticed the connection between like feeling nauseous in my my gut and then due to stress in the vagus nerve, mostly around like when my mother was passing in 2021. Mm-hmm. And then now I like recognize it. Or if I have an anxious night of sleep, I wake up and my stomach is upset and I do cold plunge. Like sometimes I'll wake up and be like, oh my gosh, I'm the type. I will, I wake up with anxiety and I try to breathe through it. I sit on the bottom of my bed and I breathe. And sometimes I'm just like straight to the cold plunge. For me, the cold plunge, I love it. Um, or a cold shower, I love it because it's a meditation and it zaps your mind. Like for me, it takes my mind off of these thoughts that are not even real <laughs> or whatever crazy dreams you had, anxiety dreams. So I'm on for meditation and cold plunge
1: i love it this is so great like you're like this worked for me because sometimes you do you have to know your body and your nervous system and sometimes you do need like a little like sort of something to get your attention somewhere else and you can do yeah like a contrast shower even where you're like okay let me get in the warm shower and give it a cold 30 seconds i used to do that with the migraines when i was in a migraine i would use cold on my forehead because even if you put cold on a part of your body, it can stimulate the vagus nerve. So it's a matter of like, yeah, like trying these things and starting to learn there are ways we can purposely signal anti-stress. In, in the book, I talk about research on so many different things. You mentioned going for a walk outside. There's spending time in nature is another huge way to help us reset from stress. Um, everything from meditation, mindfulness, yoga, uh, breath work music p- singing playing instruments spending time with animals it's a really such an endless list and i also have then researched use of psychedelic therapy and psychedelic medicine to help with this too as i consider since psychedelic medicine as an anti-stress medicine i'm i'm like the person who's like let me look at every possible way to help us recover from stress because Nature provides a lot of these options for us. We just didn't realize how to use them.
0: Let's talk psychedelics because it's obviously becoming more and more popular. Um, mm-hmm. Explain your, your take on it and how does it affect the brain to help with depression, anxiety, trauma, all of that?
1: I love it. I'm so glad you're asking me this. And I'm I'm really glad that there's more awareness and more availability, hopefully even more so in the near future. Because so many of us are being affected by the effects of stress, and sometimes it is severe, like you mentioned, from severe anxiety and panic and depression. And we start to see that there's limits to the usefulness of psychotropic medications in a lot of these cases. I'm grateful for medications. Again, I I grew up with a father who's a pharmacist. But at the same time, I saw and I actually learned from my father, how can we sometimes prevent the need for medications by... Addressing the root cause by looking at nutrient deficiencies. I also help in my practice using amino acid therapy and rebalancing cortisol and adrenaline and neurotransmitters naturally because there's so much there that I've seen help my patients through some of these really difficult uh, mental health issues. And at the same time, for me, even with solving my own history of trauma, I kept finding, like, even with so many different therapies, I've been through every kind of therapy there is, sometimes it felt to me like it's more superficial. Like, how do we get to that core of really shifting the trauma? And so this is what also led me to to start looking at psychedelics and trying them myself. And what I found, and I've tried a range of different psychedelic therapies, because again, I'm like a researcher of myself so that I can share it with others. And what I find is that it is one thing that really has been able to shift my trauma experience at a core level, be able to help me be more myself and let go of the things that have happened in my life, you know, so that you can live your purpose with joy, which is how do we get to that point where we can be ourselves doing what we love and feeling good about it And not having that trauma experience constantly re-triggered. That's what I see with psychedelic medicines is they have the potential to do that kind of deep level healing. They can work in very subtle ways. Sometimes people I know are afraid of it, but it actually can be very subtle, like even with low doses of ketamine or psilocybin or different psychedelics. And it's not that you're using these substances every day. You usually will use them for a period of time and then you integrate the insights and the shifts and so it's over time that we see these this integration of shift in our bodies it's come sometimes very subtle but very powerful i also have a lot of experience with ayahuasca and ayahuasca i see as very much a reset to the vagus nerve we were talking about the vagus nerve i experience ayahuasca as very amazing one of the best herbal medicines for resetting the vagus nerve let alone everything else we're talking about in terms of healing from trauma. I mean, classically, like ayahuasca, for example, contains DMT. And so people will be very focused on the DMT. And yes, you can take DMT separately. And the DMT, I think, is very healing to the nervous system. Absolutely. It's just that something like ayahuasca, which is a plant medicine, is so much more than just the DMT. It's really healing mind, body, and and spirit.
0: So, your trauma, do you openly talk about it?
1: Somewhat, <laughs> somewhat. <It's>, okay, <laughs> I asked that know, because... There's a lot. still some silence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's okay. No, I just wonder, because I feel like there's a lot of people too that don't even know that they have trauma and they don't know why they're feeling this way or their body reacts this way they're like everything's fine but it's like the always talk about the little t's it doesn't have to always be a big t i know i have the big t's growing up with a schizophrenic mother and like i know my traumas
1: i would say my trauma is was a lot of um exposure to narcissism narcissism and narcissistic abuse so isn't that
0: Oh, I love talking about narcissists.
1: We can talk about narcissism. Uh, let's like. do. I know.
0: Well, Doctor Z was <laughs> on the podcast, and I love that. It's one of my favorite podcasts because we talk about it. Because a lot of people don't realize that they're in a narcissistic relationship, and I've been in those for sure—not romantically, but through friendship—and it's just—it's a roller coaster. I'd love to hear your take on this because now someone, so many people are like learning about, I feel like learning about it and be like, wow, it's not me. And now that's a trauma. That's a real trauma to work through.
1: I'm glad there's more awareness. I mean, like with any sort of label or diagnosis, we have to be mindful because sometimes it it gets mislabeled or overused. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a pattern of, especially if you know you've been in a family or in a relationship with someone who has a narcissistic personality disorder or narcissistic traits. Roller coaster is a good word to put on it. It's people who've not experienced it or are not aware of it, it's hard to understand it. But there's a lot of silence in the narcissistic relationship. Part of the agreement of being in a narcissistic relationship is that you agree to be silent about what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of the trauma is feeling separate and alone and isolated while experiencing a huge <laughs> amount of emotional pain. To me, that's the way I describe it is being in emotional pain because there's a lot of dismissing of, of your feelings and experience a person in a narcissistic relationship really loses themselves because they're constantly questioning themselves. And so to me, what I figured out was through really a lot of what I was researching and what we've been talking about so far really was my process of learning how to recover from narcissistic abuse. Mm -hmm. Because when you have that exposure to narcissism, it affects your cortisol levels. It affects your adrenaline levels. It affects your neurotransmitter levels and it's it is a trauma that can be a core wound because you start to ask yourself, well, this became so familiar to me. Why did it become so familiar and how do I shift my nervous system so that it doesn't feel familiar and okay to me anymore? right? You want to get to the point where you're not continually choosing right back into narcissism. And I think that's what gets missed a lot of times. Mm -hmm. People realize, oh, I had this narcissistic relationship, but then the risk is you're going to find yourself right back there again, unless you really do the deep healing to transform that.
0: Yeah. My mom, aside from being diagnosed with schizophrenia and depression. I was in therapy with her towards the end of her life. And the doctor did also diagnose her with narcissism. And then that's where I have to catch myself because I was raised by, well, kind of raised. She was, you know, after 12, not really in the house anymore, but having that constant relationship in my life and yeah, catching those patterns. So how do you break the pattern?
1: I think it's, Just one of it is being aware, Mm -hmm. being just very aware and integrating these things we're talking about. And a lot of it is becoming really good at turning it to your own love of yourself. Because with narcissism, so much of the focus is on this other person. Am I meeting their expectations? You keep putting your attention on the other person. So it's a really like a constant practice at first to say, oh, if I'm wondering about this other person, let me now ask, how am I? And so I teach people in my programs, in my patients, I teach them what I call a daily check-in, basically where we're saying, how are you? But to ourselves, how is my energy level today? How's my mood? How was my sleep? How's my focus? How's my body feel? We're putting our focus back into ourselves. And that means we're loving ourselves. That means we're prioritizing ourselves. Those are things that don't happen in a narcissistic relationship. So already we're shifting the patterns and we're teaching ourselves, hey, I'm important and what I feel and experience is important. And from there, we can start to take better care of ourselves. I use the word care as an acronym. So C, C for clean eating, A for adequate sleep, R for recovery activities, and E for exercise. Which I know you love.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. do. And I know I'm like, and I'm my own worst enemy sometimes because, like, I think during 2020, 2021, I stopped working out and then I'm like feeling down and then this. And I'm like, get back in the gym, Karina. This is why you started working out.
1: <laughs> At, working out is such a good medicine. The research yeah. is clear over and over. Now, I always say we can overdo anything, right? Like we even talked about with the cold plunges. We can overdo the cold plunges. We can overdo the exercise. We can overdo kale. You know, like there is such a thing as too much. And then we end up stressing ourselves more. And this is the concept of hormesis. And this is something that doesn't happen in narcissism. Narcissism is all the extremes, black Mm -hmm. and white, and Mm -hmm. that's the roller coaster. So we have to learn how to embrace moderation and balance. Because hormesis is when we give our bodies a little bit of a stress, let's say we lift some weights, right? Mm-hmm. That stimulates muscle growth. So a little bit of a stress is a good thing. Even a little bit of a stress emotionally can be a good thing. But if we overdo it, if we over-exercise, it's raising our cortisol too high. If we overdo anything, it can be too much. And I think that's a really hard concept for us as humans in general, you know, like how to get that Goldilocks, it's called the Goldilocks principle. How do we get just the right amount? And, um, and that's true of with whether it's a dietary change, like intermittent fasting. Like I think that's one where people hear it and go, okay, this is good. But then if we push it too far, and we're pushing ourselves to fast too long for our bodies, and it's unique to each individual, it's going to raise cortisol too high. And now it's working against you. So this is why, to me, it always comes back to knowing your stress type. If you know your stress type, you know your cortisol and adrenaline, and then you make every decision based on that. I'm going to choose my exercise based on my stress type. I'm going to choose my intermittent fasting based on my stress type. I'm going to choose my meditation based on my stress type, even my cold plunge. Like, I'm going to choose these things based on my stress type so that I'm constantly aware of how do I do these things that are positive, but in a way that still leads me to optimal cortisol and adrenaline. And this way, then we're constantly in a state of supporting our bodies in recovering from stress.
0: Yeah, and all of that's in your book, right? All of the tips and tricks depending on your stress type. So I highly recommend getting the book, Master Your Stress, Reset Your Health, and Figure Out Your Stress Type. And I've noticed different things as, you know... Each decade, there's different stress. I feel like there's more stress and you're more responsible as an adult and then you get older and then your parents and there's just a lot of changes in life. And that's okay. That is life. And just educating yourself on how to manage it so that you do take care of yourself first, especially first thing in the morning. So I have another question I wanted to ask from the community. If you're in a toxic relationship... That causes anxiety, an environment with high anxiety. What is the best first step to take care of yourself?
1: Mm, I love it. I would say, and I'm thinking of what I, what did I do? And what I would do is I would just try to start putting myself in my schedule, even starting with five minutes, you know, because when you're in this toxic relationship, it's all-consuming, You feel like you have to be on call constantly and you don't even, can you like go to the bathroom by yourself without constantly having something. So just start to practice putting yourself into the schedule. Oh, I need five minutes to go for a walk without my phone, with nothing else and just me and nature, you know, or five minutes to take some deep breaths. This is a lot of the concepts I use is starting with small steps. Then you can gradually increase it. Even something like taking time to yourself, like, oh, let me increase it to an hour and then at some point I was like you know what what if I like put four hours aside on a Saturday where I don't have to be anywhere responding to anyone what would that be like and it was so amazing and so you just start to build on it how can you start to put yourself into your schedule in predictable ways because the thing is if we're If we're constantly exposed to unpredictability of toxic relationships, it's very hard for the nervous system to get out of what I call stress mode, We're just functioning in stress mode, so much so that we don't even realize we're in stress mode. How do we get out of stress mode? We need to start supporting the calming part of our nervous system and introducing this concept of safety and consistency. You actually can start to count on yourself to create a safe space and time in your day then you can build on that and it starts to grow and you start to go, oh, this feels so good. I want more of this safety and consistency.
0: Yeah, I think it's important starting with like the small steps because sometimes in the Tone It Up app, I have meditation. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, I can't meditate. I'm like, start with 60 seconds and build from there. I don't know what this particular environment is that someone was asking about, but it could be even your work environment. And I've been in stressful work environments before too. And I don't care. I'll be like, I got to go pee again. <laughs> and I just go, <laughs> go in the bathroom, shut the door and just like breathe. <laughs> like, wow, exactly. you go to the bathroom a lot. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Okay.
1: Everyone will be in the bathroom but, listening to yeah. your meditations. Then yeah. we'll know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, I think just the the little steps, then you are empowered to do more for yourself and take care of yourself more because you just start to realize how good it feels.
1: In my book, I talk about what are some of the supplements we can use because when we're under this constant stress, we get depleted in our calming neurotransmitters. And what's interesting to me, and maybe you like this too, Karina, is that like I was talking to a patient yesterday and she was saying how like we expect that we're supposed to be calm even though it's really a stressful situation going on and we hold ourselves to this expectation that we're supposed to be calm anyway and i'm looking at it as i'm looking at this person's neurotransmitter results and i can see their serotonin and gaba are very low and serotonin and gaba are our calming neurotransmitters how can we expect ourselves to be calm when our calming neurotransmitters are depleted like i i think we need a reality check and be like wait a minute There's a reason why I don't feel calm. I need to start supporting my serotonin and GABA and get those levels up. And our bodies know how to make serotonin and GABA. They're made in our digestive tract from amino acids. So we just need to make sure we're getting enough protein, we're getting enough support for our digestive health and gut healing, and we can use amino acids like 5 HTP to support serotonin so that your body starts making these calming neurotransmitters again. You don't even have to try to be calm. Your body will already have the tools and needs to counterbalance stress.
0: Can you talk about the importance of gut health and what's the worst thing to do for your gut health and what's the best thing to do?
1: We know now this gut-brain connection. We know that there's constant communication between our brain and our gut. In fact, to me, it's all one anyway. It's all so interconnected. We really can't separate it. And so I realized... With helping my patients over the years, if I was helping just their nervous system, I wasn't going to get enough forward progress. Or if I was just doing their gut health without their nervous system, I wasn't going to get enough progress. So I realized I needed work from both sides. So if anything, I would say, if you, you know, if you're been working on your gut health, but you're like, I can't get anywhere, you know, say you're saying I'm taking enzymes and I'm taking probiotics and I'm trying, but I'm not getting very far. Then I would say, we need to know your stress type and we need to address your cortisol and adrenaline and neurotransmitters along with your gut health. It completely changes things completely because now you're shifting the signals to your digestion. And then now the gut healing starts working so much better. Now the the leaky gut healing, you can actually make some progress. Um, So in terms of like the, so the worst thing you could do, I would say would be like not addressing your whole body and your stress type, if you're having digestive issues. And the best thing you can do is just the opposite. But also I would say like, really don't just depend on a medication. I don't know if if that's true of some audience members where you're just like, okay, I'm just going to take this antacid or I'm just going to take this laxative or this, you know, IBS medication. Yes, they can help in the moment, but I would encourage you to say, what's really going on? Are there food sensitivities? Let's find out. Is there leaky gut? Let's find out and start healing it. Is there imbalanced gut bacteria? These are specialty tests that exist and we can do and it helps me be so much more precise in my work cuz then I'm actually instead of guessing and taking something general we can be so much more specific about your gut healing.
0: And so if someone's listening they're like I don't even know where to begin where do I get this these tests are they accessible does health insurance cover it
1: Yeah all good question. I mean I can't wait for the day when our health insurance is covering really preventive care and these tests that give us information that really can help us get ahead of this curve. But for the most part right now, those specialty tests are out of pocket. But to me, if it's a, it's not like a $3,000 test, you should be able to get a food sensitivity test or say this cortisol neurotransmitter test that I mentioned, you know, the cortisol neurotransmitter panel through my office is $400. The food panel is $600. It is an out-of-pocket cost, but it's so worth it when you can finally get ahead of this and feel better. It's like worth every penny.
0: I think starting off with reading your book will really help you understand it better and just making those small tweaks in, in life and everything too. And I've even realized like as I've gotten older, my allergies change, my food allergies, bugs Oh my gosh, moving to Texas, fire ants are not my friend.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, there's so much you can do. People contact me and they're like, I read your book, I did everything you said, and I'm already feeling better. And they didn't spend any money on tests. So it's not always necessary. And at the same time, the way I do my practices, I help patients around the world, I just talked to a patient this morning in India. These are things that we can do from wherever you are. Yeah, it doesn't have to. That's another beneficial thing is you can do this from anywhere and start, just start wherever you can and just start working on it. And then you start to see the changes in your body and you can start to get more awareness for the signals your body is giving you. And then you can see is is more needed. If more is needed, you can get access to it.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Donnie. Lots of useful information. Beautiful book. And where
1: can we find you? Uh, my website is drdonnie.com. Dr. Donnie is, is D-O-N-I, D like David. It's short for Donny L, by the way. So, um, but I go by Donnie I like Dr. Donnie.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we have all the, the info in the show notes as well. Any last few thoughts or words you feel mm-hmm. are important?
1: I just really appreciate what you're doing to bring awareness to mental health and the effects of stress and trauma. I mean, this is something I dream of when I'm talking with my patients and I'm seeing what they're going through. And I just think how much this is necessary to get this information out there and help people to know that healing is possible because a lot of times people get the message that I experienced this trauma or stress and now I'm stuck with it and I can't do anything and they feel hopeless. And so my message is really there's so much we can do to help you heal. The nervous system can heal. The neurotransmitters can be rebalanced even with nutrients and herbs. Your system can recover from what you've been through. And sometimes that alone is something where we We have to be ready for it because sometimes we identify with what we've been through. So we have to get to the point of saying, you know what? I I went through what I went through. I'm ready to acknowledge it and, and let it go and move on and allow myself to heal and become the person that I can become through recovering from stress.
0: Yeah. And knowing that it's a process and it takes time and don't give up. Exactly. Well, thank you for joining us, Dr. Donnie.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I, I'm i just so honored to be here and, and happy to hear from anyone if you have any questions.
0: Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like. Subscribe and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday.
1: One, two, three, sing
0: it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will
1: defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The Big Silence mm-hmm.